0: Well, we love having our kids in the big room, the vision for us to be a family together, which includes doing fun things like playing games in the middle of church. Isn't that fun? Yeah. I heard, I had a youth just say to me, like, why can't the bigger kids do it? And I bet some of you adults are feeling like, hey, why couldn't we get in on the challenge too? Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Well. Again, I'm Isaac, if if you weren't here right at the beginning, I am the lead pastor, and now that you've gotten comfortable, let's stand together and let's let's read the scripture. (laughs) It's real quick, and you'll be able to get comfortable again. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word of the Lord. Praise hmm. Well, it is so good to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not hard to say amen to the good news that Jesus rose from The dead. It's not hard. Because it's just like, this is incredible. You might remember one of my favorite phrases. How can you defeat a king who wins by dying? It's incredible. It's astounding. It's such good, good news. However, This is the kind of news that demands a lot of us. As I said on Good Friday, for those of you who gathered with us, Jesus said these words on the cross. He said, it is finished, but it is not over. The death and the resurrection of Jesus are not like static events that we simply just watch or that they just simply unlock heaven for us and we're like, wow, great! And we go on with our lives. Rather, the death and the resurrection of Jesus requires us to become people of hope. And this is the irony that I want to explore today. With our greatest enemy, death, being defeated, we're not just called to cheer on the sideline or to say something like, good job, God. Rather, we are required to live in a totally new way. We are required to become people of hope. Ironically, Jesus resurrection isn't the end, but only the beginning of a whole new story that each one of us is invited, compelled to participate with. And this way, one of the ways that we can describe it is the way of hope. And hope is not just the feeling. It's not just Optimism, you know, Mary Poppins, just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. <laughs> it's not just pop candy, it's gonna be all right kind of feeling. Rather, hope is responsibility. Yesterday, I read an article from Esau McCauley, and he's a public Christian theologian, professor. He contributes to New York Times and other publications. And he wrote about Easter yesterday in the New York Times. And this phrase caught me. He says, I have never been a big fan of hope. It's a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. Hate is a much less insistent master. It asks you only to loathe. It is quite happy to have you to itself and doesn't ask you to go anywhere. Wow. Hope, however, asks us to go everywhere. Hope asks us to go anywhere. The hope of Jesus rising to life again requires us to go inside ourselves and grapple with our deadened selves on the inside. For the despair and the worry and the anxiety and the listlessness and the apathy that we are so prone to move into, the resurrection of Jesus confronts us on the inside and suggests that that inside deadness is out of alignment with what is ultimately true. It invites us to go outside into our world to dare to see the potential of what might be. You see, the resurrection of Jesus demands us to be people of hope. And when we become people of hope, we start to move beyond the patterns and the chains of despair that our world is addicted to and consumed with. So there is no, in the In the Christian faith, there's no passive observer on the sidelines. Rather, we are invited to get right into the game of being those who bring hope. Paul describes this, just the enormity of what has transformed or uh, has taken place with the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, after describing the resurrection that we are all going to look forward to, that we ourselves, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, will be risen from the dead. He says this, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The resurrection of Jesus requires a lot of us because the resurrection of Jesus erases the finality of death. Erases the finality of death. Our lives are bookended by this reality that eventually we will die. And you may have noticed that our culture is not very comfortable with that. When's the last time that you've seen an actual dead body? You are shielded from that in our culture. I heard a a preacher say, uh, some of you medical people are saying, no, we're not shielded from that, and and good. I heard a preacher say that, you know, when he was growing up, funerals, you know, they would say odd things like they would go by the body and they're like, oh, he looks so good, almost like he's not dead. (laughs) Because morticians make the body look more alive than dead. We are incredibly uncomfortable with death, although it does bookend our lives. It is true. But the resurrection of Jesus takes the sting out of that and suggests a new reality that we can all look forward to. So follow me for a moment. Donnie was talking about the chipmunk that was in prison. Let me just add a little anecdote to that story. It it, it was, I don't know, a week that we had the chipmunk in our house, and we set that trap it was like two weeks. We set that trap several times, and it was, you saw it with the blueberry. That blueberry was in the trap. It went and got the blueberry and then brought it out and looked at the camera and mocked me. <laughs> I heard the chipmunk one morning in the, the office running around, and so I went and got the trap, and I set it in, and I closed the door, and about 10 minutes later, I heard the shunk. And I didn't immediately go see it. I rather said, you need to sit in there and think about what you've done. (laughs) Think of yourself locked in a prison. As you sit in your cell staring at the locked door, a sense of despair, no doubt, washes over you. You've been in this prison for so long, after a while, it becomes your whole world. You've constructed your daily routine around the reality that you can't go anywhere else. Your routine and what is right or wrong, the world becomes just this cell. Despair becomes your normal. You've forgotten what it's like to be free the door has become nothing more than an extension of the wall to you, something that cannot be moved. But then the impossible happens. Someone unlocks the door. And at first, you can hardly believe it, but as the door swings open, revealing the world beyond, the freedom is overwhelming. And for a moment, perhaps, you can't move because you're so used to being confined That the idea of stepping out into the world is frightening. You might find that you are comfortable with despair. Freedom might end up being more complicated than incarceration. The actuality of death being defeated by the resurrection of Jesus is like that door being unlocked. It is incredible, it is astounding. But Jesus' resurrection ends up giving us this very dangerous point of view and emotion, hope. And hope pulls us out of our comfortable despair and hope pulls us out into a life of faith. Hope and grabbing onto hope is like stepping out of that prison cell. We are comfortable with what we know life to be. We may complain about it. We may gripe about it. But it's actually where we'd prefer to stay because we understand what our place is. But the resurrection of Jesus unlocks that prison door and invites us to be people of hope. And the other side of that is so, it's limitless and it's beyond what we can think or imagine. And it takes us into a reality that our world does not echo back to us. It's the reality of the kingdom of Jesus that is unfolding And unfolding and unfolding. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that death no longer defies our existence. If I die today, I will die in Christ. This gives me great freedom to be an agent of hope on the earth. Hope demands that we refuse. The comfortable prison of pessimism and despair. And there's two things that I felt that I really wanted to communicate to you this morning before we get into the more fun stuff like baptism, people grabbing on to hope. Listen, pessimism or despair, it moans, it complains. It, it, it can see the dankness of the cell. It can see what is wrong in the world. It is totally familiar with the anxiety that our culture induces upon us. However, being people of hope, being people of the resurrection means that we contend and fight for justice. Injustice will be undone. I want you to think about Jesus' final week. Jesus being unjustly accused. Jesus being unjustly tried. Jesus being unjustly killed. We grieve about what took place. We lament, but his resurrection assures us that the injustice is not final. Assures us that the things that are broken in this world are being undone. C.S. Lewis says it this way, that death begins to work backwards because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we can live into that and choose to be people of hope who do not just gripe and moan and complain about the world is, but rather we walk as people of the resurrection, believing that what might come, we will contend and fight for justice. We will contend to see goodness come into the world. We will contend to inherit the promises of God's word that have lived with every generation, and we will see it walked out in our world to come. For those of you who are Christians in here, no doubt you are aware of the injustices of the world, the unfairness of the world, the inequality of the world, the inequity of the world. You see the orphan and the widow. You see the foreigner and you see the refugee. And unfortunately, many of us are used to complaining and moaning about those problems and those realities. But if we are to be people of the resurrection, we will do like what God did and we will enter into the mess and we will bring hope and we will bring justice and we will contend for these things, and we will, on our watch, in our day, in our time, we will contend to see the resurrection life of Jesus lived out in our very communities. You see, hope, being people of hope, requires something of us and takes us into being people that, know we can't just see the problems, but actually we're the solution that God has invited us into. Oh, and it might be scary, and it might require something of us, but that's what the resurrection does. It promises that even if I die, on the basis of my faith and conviction in Jesus Christ, if I die bringing justice to the world, like somebody did, his name was Jesus, that I will be resurrected. You see, the resurrection is not an event for us to <laughs> applaud God about, but it requires us to become people of hope. Secondly, <laughs> Pessimism and despair mopes about the past. Hope demands that we walk in forgiveness. And I see two strands of moping about the past. Some who are burdened by the shame of their past, the mistakes that they made, the feeling of wretchedness that you bring to the present moment. if You might say things like, if people only knew, or they could never know that about me, that's shame. The other point of unforgiveness that the resurrection holds you into account for is the unforgiveness that you carry towards others. And the resurrection demands of you that God has completely and fully accomplished everything for you as a follower of him to begin to under, uh, unlock the prison doors of your heart and begin to extend forgiveness to others. I think that the, the slow pace of Christianity happening within our Western culture could possibly be directly tied to particularly the second aspect of forgiveness that I mentioned, harboring unforgiveness. Imagine, back to Jesus' Passion Week and what the resurrection communicates to us, imagine the embarrassment and the shame of Peter. Peter, if you're newer to the story, is one of Jesus' disciples. And right before Jesus was going to be unjustly tried, (laughs) condemned, crucified. He he, he told Jesus, I I will never abandon you. But then we know he did. At Jesus' hour of need, Peter denied even knowing him. And then with that shame, he had to watch Jesus be crucified. And Jesus died and was put into the tomb. And And Peter just simply had to live with that shame. Imagine Jesus. Experiencing the other side of that, the fracture of the relationship between himself and Peter as Peter made these promises and then was not able to fulfill them even at the hour of his great need. And so we have Peter who's living with shame. We have Jesus who is needing to express forgiveness. And we are on both sides of that equation as we walk this life. And Jesus, obviously, shows us what to do. After the resurrection, Peter is brought to Jesus, and Jesus basically like takes him out for breakfast on the beach. And it's this lovely seeing at the end of John. And it's just like Peter and Jesus... And and Jesus basically says, do you love me? And Peter's like, I do love you. And do you love me? And yes, I do love you. Do you love me? Yes, you know all there there is to know. You know that I love you. And he says, then feed my lambs. And in this moment, Jesus saying, feed my lambs. He's extending forgiveness because he's resurrecting the purpose that he had given Peter, which would enable him then to be able to walk out the purposes he had for Peter. He's extending forgiveness. And also in that moment, Peter is receiving forgiveness from Jesus. The resurrection demands that we m- don't mope about the past. That's what despair and pessimism does. But hope demands that we walk in forgiveness. Stop living as though your past is your enemy. Jesus has paid it all and he has resurrected to life again. And he also confronts you At breakfast time, he confronts you on the shore of your life and says, it is time to receive forgiveness for what you have done. It is time to allow my work to really invade the deep parts of your heart and your soul. Shame is like locking that door again and staying inside the prison And Jesus is asking you, no, unlock that door. Come out. I've done it all. You do not need to be held captive to shame and embarrassment. You do not need to be held captive to condemnation. I have paid it all. The forgiveness of sins is yours. And secondly, on the shore of your life, there's no doubt been people that have injured you traumatically injured you, dramatically injured you in ways that you feel like maybe you've been injured and hurt like no one else. And Jesus also on the shore of your life comes to you and says, do you love me? And if you love me, you need to move in forgiveness. It is time for this idol of your life of unforgiveness to be cast beneath my feet because I have crushed the head of Satan, Jesus says. I have crushed the head of the accuser. And so you no longer have rights as a follower of mine to stand in the place of being an echoing accuser against those who have harmed you. You have no rights to do that because I have paid it all for you to be forgiven. And if you are forgiven much, you need to extend forgiveness much. And I can imagine that for some of you, that feels like stepping out of that cell in which you are comfortable, in which you are able to define what you will and what you will not do. And you're being called into freedom. It is for freedom that you have been set free and it is for freedom that you will live and it is only stepping into the forgiveness of forgiving, uh, the freedom of forgiving others that you might be unlocked into your full and final destiny as his child. The resurrection of Jesus demands that we become people of hope and hope requires us not to stay in the prison cell of unforgiveness, whining and groping, but rather to take responsibility for our whole lives before Christ who is our king. That is good news. That is so good, it's the kind of news that requires you to do something. The resurrection assures us that history is tumbling towards renewal. It is tumbling towards renewal. It is tumbling towards redemption. It is tumbling towards God making all things new. And what he wants you to do is to become part of that snowball right now, to become part of the the cloud of witnesses that gather momentum through history, each generation taking upon itself forgiveness, breathing forgiveness, as he has assured justice, bringing justice, to the world. The res- resurrection makes us be people of hope. And once we're in hope, we are in great responsibility. So I'm going to make a bold invitation right now. If you are somebody that has not given over a part of your life or any of your life to Jesus Christ, and you're feeling compelled in this moment, let me assure you that's the Spirit of God wanting to rescue you, and you're feeling compelled right now, would you stand up right where you are? I see these, yeah. Hold your applause, hold your applause. Who else needs to stand with these who are standing? Saying yes to Jesus, thank you. Who else today, as the scriptures say, choose this day whom you will serve? Who else is being confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ right now? Second question, you're not going to stand alone. Stay standing, but you're not going to stand alone. Who recognizes that you have been holding on to unforgiveness and it's become something of your little cell in which you are comfortable and would you stand right where you are? You see, the resurrection confronted those early followers and the resurrection is confronting us right now because God cares so much about his mission. He cares so much about this world that he loved and he's inviting every one of us into receiving the gift that he has given to us. Father, Son, and Spirit, I pray over these people right now, some who are giving their lives to you for the first time, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with them. Lord Jesus, for these who are recognizing the unforgiveness in their heart and their life and your resurrection is confronting them again, I pray that you would restore and renew them and release them. Release them from this captivity, this small dank cell. Lord, they've made that a home, but your home is so much bigger. Lord, usher in renewal to their hearts and lives. And for those who are saying yes to Jesus for the first time, we're all gonna pray with you now. We're gonna help you pray a prayer of faith. So would everybody please repeat after me. Father God, God, you sent Jesus Jesus. to live live. and to die die. so so we can be free. He paid the penalty of sin He rose from the dead, dead. ensuring forgiveness forgiveness. and a new life. I I receive that that. in faith. faith. Jesus, you are the way. You are the the truth. You are the life. life. I come to you and I come to the Father. Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me to follow after you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whoa.